This is in John chapter 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria, referring to Jesus. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So he was alone there with the woman. And uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, that the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. And I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you said you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now are with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. And we're going to put up this next scripture. It's slide two. Our ancestors ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, in that passage of scripture, five verses, the word worship or a form of the word appears ten times. It's probably one of the most instructive, well, I don't know, it might very well be the most instructive passage on worship that's in the entire Bible. Ten, ten times in five verses, and you can count them uh, maybe later if you wish. Uh, now, there's a difference between praise and worship. And I want to just describe a little bit of what that difference is. Uh, Marlene and I have been married for 51 years. And uh, I can stand here and tell you a number of good things about her. She's kind. She's very affectionate. She's, she serves. She acts in many ways like a servant to me. Um, 
the many needs that I have, and she's very sensitive to them, and she comes and ministers to those needs, and, and I try to reciprocate. Uh, she is uh, seen by most of you in the church as a woman with absolutely no anger or guile, or she's very pleasant. Uh, uh, how am I doing? Where, where are these notes you gave me? Uh, all right. Now, what I'm doing is I'm praising her. I'm telling you about her. And so when we stand in church and we say, God is good. Uh, God is full of mercy. God is full of grace. And, and we, we start talking about God, then we are praising him. Now, if I go to my wife, and instead of talking to you, I talk to her. And I say, honey, I love you. And I'm so blessed by the things that you do. And I just am honored to just be your husband. And, I, and, and we embrace and we share time together. That's different than me talking to you about her. I'm speaking directly to her in a very close love relationship. And that's the difference between praise and worship to God. We can sing songs about him, but worship is encountering him coming into his presence intimately and experiencing from him his love, his care. And it's not that that's why we go there. We go there because he invites us. The, the Father is seeking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. So he's here this morning. He's here every day of our lives. He encounters us in so many ways. And the encounters have a purpose. And that's to draw us into intimacy with him. And to just sit in his presence. This morning, of course, the times went back and I got up at about uh, 6 o'clock, the old time. <laughs> and uh, I was just, uh, I came downstairs and I was sitting in the chair and going over these scriptures. And I was, I was thinking, you know, when I preach this, I'm preaching about worship. I'm preaching about what it means to worship. And I just sat in the Lord in the church and said, Lord, let this be not about a sermon. Let it be actually true worship coming from my heart to you. And so in his presence this morning, alone uh, in my living room, um, I just had some very special moments um, as I was going through these scriptures and just in the presence of the Lord. I want to talk to you about four objections that the woman raised to Jesus uh, about uh, what he said to her. So this is slide three. And the first objection is, we're calling it racism. As the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now think about this. Sitting by this well is... God incarnate, the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, Emmanuel, God with us, here, to, robed in flesh, becoming human in order to fulfill the purposes of God to redeem a lost race. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to imagine this woman who had no idea who he was, saw him hungry and saw him thirsty and dusty from the, uh, and tired from the journey, 
it just didn't appear to be like the eternal God. Uh, it just would not have occurred to her. But it was, he was there. And he was talking to her about worship. And, and he was talking to her about living water. And she couldn't really understand him. So she focused on the fact that he was Jew and she was Samaritan. And one of the things that detracts us from Jesus is the amount of hatred and prejudice and violence and war and human conflict that even happens in families. It happens on the job sometimes. It just We focus upon the things around us that are opposite to the spirit of Jesus as they express themselves in the world. Uh, in, in this case, it was Jew-Samaritan. The things that make us different from somebody else. The thing, the thing that causes us to be the victims of prejudice or even the purveyors of prejudice. And all the time, he's sitting by the well. Right next to us. Inviting us to focus on him. To let our lives be about him. To find in him life and in him to move and, and have our being. And yet we can be so caught up in the objections to that by just the world around us. The second objection, and this is the next, the next slide, slide four. It was the origin and the size of the well. It's interesting. He, the woman says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? He did also, as did also his sons and livestock. So here's Jesus sitting by the well. This is an ancient well. It's hundreds of years old and it came, and was dug by one of the patriarchs of Israel. Uh, it was from Jacob that he, his 12 sons became the, the heads of the tribes of Israel. And, and the woman says, are, are you greater than our father Jacob? Who do you think you are? Now, <laughs> uh, of course, Jesus was greater than Jacob. Jacob, as important as he was in, as an historical figure and as a patriarch and as the father of the, of the 12 tribes of Israel, was nevertheless uh, insignificant in comparison to this tired, thirsty man sitting by her at the well. Uh, you know, we fixate on so many others other than Jesus. Uh, we, we, uh, we can celebrate prophets, healing evangelists, uh, great preachers who have amazing TV shows. And we can be caught up in them. We can be fascinated by past revivals, by the way things used to be, or the traditions that we once enjoyed in our childhood or at some other place or time in our lives. We can be fascinated with political leaders and focus on them and what what benefits we can receive from them. And, and all the time, it's nothing wrong with doing those things. Uh, we can be fascinated with sports figures or music stars. And, and all of these can, they, they vie for our attention. And they can very easily displace our focus upon him who's sitting right beside us 
at the well and inviting us to not fixate on others because there is no one who comes close to him in person or power or what he provides for us. It's Jesus, the Son of God, the one who created all things and by whom all things consist, as Paul said in Colossians. The worlds were made by him, the Bible says. And here he is sitting by a well, inviting a woman to fixate on him, to, to draw from something that he could provide for her that she could not get anywhere else. And yet how, how easy it is for all of us. Uh, sometimes if the Leafs win, it's a good night for me. If they lose, I go into deep depression. Uh, sports figures, they can become the gods that we serve. We can fixate on, on so many different things when Jesus is the focus the third objection, and this is the next slide, John 4:15. The woman said to him, "Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water." The, the third objection has to do with natural needs or physical needs, the things that I need. Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to come back here again and keep drawing from it. Uh, Provide for me my daily bread, my needs, the things that I have to toil and labor for because it would be much easier for me just to have you give them to me rather than me have to toil and labor and work for them. And so there was a fixation on what he provided or could provide as opposed to who he was as the provider. The worship of what he gives instead of the worship to the giver. And, uh, you know, we can do that. We can fixate on trying to get wealth, trying to better ourselves, trying to secure our futures. They all become challenges that face us, and they can easily displace the man by the well who invites us to worship him. Tithing comes into play here very significantly because tithing is an act of worship. We take 10% of what we receive and we give it back to the Lord. And we do, that as, do this as worship because our security is not in the finances that we have. The security is in him who provides those finances. We had a call this week uh, from a person that we know quite well from Vancouver uh, a Russian woman who has become very close to our family. She interpreted for me in Russia and uh, is just a very precious person. Doesn't have a lot of financial resources. Her husband left her, and Marlene and I, and I don't think we've seen her for about 10 years personally and face-to-face. -face. But she called me and was very, very uh, kind of self-effacing, I guess you could say, and... and uh, apologetic, maybe be a better word, and describing to me why she was calling. 
And she asked me if I remembered the pastor Nikolai's oldest daughter, uh, Nikolai Voskobanyakov, who's preached here years ago, and uh, where I did uh, several trips to Magadan, Russia, where he is. And his oldest daughter is named Svetlana. Now, Svetlana's husband has left her. Uh, she's now 50 years old. She has three teenagers. And she's moved to, a, uh, she lives in a, a city uh, near the Kazakhstan border in Russia. And she has absolutely no money. And she sent uh, a word to Mila, our friend in, in, uh, in Vancouver, could you send me $50? Uh, and Mila called me, and it's the very first time she's ever, ever, ever called us and asked for money. Now, a few years ago, when Marlene and I were having a stressful time when it came to finances, she faithfully, every month, sent a few hundred dollars uh, to us because she was prospering at that time, and, and, uh, and this would come through Western Union, and we would... Uh, uh, we, were, we were so blessed by her willingness to give. And now she is apologetic and asking us for $50. So we sent $500 through her to the woman in, in, uh, near Kaz the Kazakhstan, to Svetlana. And uh, she wrote a thank you in Russian. And uh, Mila said to us, well, you didn't see behind that thank you. She had to interpret it for us was her crying, how she just cried and cried to think that the Lord had provided 22,000 Russian uh, rubles for her at this time of desperate need. And, and so as, as we are in relationship, to the, and afterwards we both felt so good, <laughs> and uh, that was three days ago, and every morning since then we've got up and said, you know, it feels so good to have reached out and blessed somebody who's in great need. And, and that spirit is the spirit of a true worshiper. Not that we're trying to extol ourselves as true worshipers, but the whole spirit of giving, of tithing, and reaching out to others who are disadvantaged is the very reason why Jesus came to this world. That we, in our poverty, in our desperateness, could transfer that to Jesus, who in his poverty made us rich. Listen, if you know Jesus, you're richer than any person in the world who doesn't know Jesus. If you're in relationship with him, in a worship relationship with him, you don't have to worry about things because God will add to you all the things that you need according to his riches and glory in Christ. And, and this woman, all she could think of is, I don't want to ever do this again. Will you meet my needs? The fourth objection. Um, this is the next slide. And this is minimizing Jesus. Uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, Jesus does fulfill a prophetic office. He actually is prophet, priest, and king. He holds three Old Testament offices in himself. And that didn't happen in the Old Testament. So he fulfilled all of the major offices of the priesthood of the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. And, and of course, aside from fulfilling human offices, he, he is the creator 
who came in the flesh as a human being, and 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 the woman says, um, "I can see that you are a prophet." Well, as true as that might have been, she so missed who he, the fullness of who he was. So there was a, a minimized concept of he who was sitting by the well with her. Um, do we see him for who he truly is? When it comes to worship, when we come together as corporate worshipers, do we just sing songs of praise, Lord God, you're so good, and, 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 and Lord, you are such a blessing, uh, you've blessed us, and, and we can praise him and praise him. But what about coming into that place where we actually encounter him? Where his presence literally fills this place with the Holy Spirit's anointing so rich in the house that sometimes you can't stay standing. That sometimes your, your language that you know is just insufficient. And so you start to praise and worship in words that come from the Spirit. And we, we used to talk about and experience singing in the Spirit. That might even be a foreign concept to many this morning. But the presence of the Lord so rich that we start to see him in a fuller revelation. And of course, since he is infinite and we are finite, that we never get to the place where we can say, oh, wow, now we got, a, got him all figured out. But we'll never come to that place. Um. The seventh slide, just a couple more, and then we'll close. Coming into his presence. Uh, being confronted by this man by the well. How do, we, how do we embrace him, really, truly? How do we... Uh, disengage from our prejudices and from all of the things that trouble us? How do we, how do we uh, disengage from the minimized way in which we think about him sometimes or uh, focus on our own personal needs? How do, we, how do we disengage from these things and really come into a true place of his presence? And the scripture says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So people can say, well, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay? Someone might say, well, you know, I, I, I think about the, you know, the teachings of Christ, and I can embrace those teachings. And so I may not be a Christian in the sense of the word that you are, but... I, I think he's great, and Buddha's great, and other philosophers are great. And, and so we include him in our thinking. Uh, we consider him to be okay, and some people in the world, that's how they view him. Um, but um, must believe that he is. Who is he? Just a guy by the well? Just a guy with some great ideas and some great philosophic uh, teachings? Or is he the I am? 
the great I am? Is he the second person of the Trinity? Is he the one, is he the fullness of him who fills all in all? Is he the creator, the sustainer, the one who became the lamb? And and we worship this morning saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Is he all of those things? How do you... How do you disengage from all of these things that we just talked about, these four objections and all these things that so, so crowd our lives and come to the place where it's him and you? And then when we come together, it's him and us. It's by faith. It's by not abandoning your reason or your intellect but, and not even suspending them for a season but realize that he transcends them. He's greater than all of our thoughts and imaginations. And her way, his ways and, our, and his thoughts are so different than ours. And so we receive him by faith. Uh, it's about yielding to the Lordship of Christ. And you go to the next slide, slide eight. Uh, for your, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now Jesus comes to us, and he gives us his life, and lots of people are willing to receive his life. When you come to Jesus and accept him as your Savior and Lord, he wants to give you abundant life, and people respond to that. But then he says more than just, I want to give you my life. He said, I want my mind to be in you. I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul said. So I just don't want to pour my life into you. I want to pour my mind, my thoughts into you. So that you think the word of God. You saturate your mind with the scriptures. You're diligent in personal Bible study and looking for opportunities to study the Word of God together collectively in the house of the Lord. And so our, our minds become His mind. So He wants to give you His life. He wants your life. He wants your mind. But He also wants to give you His Spirit because His Spirit is what releases the power of God in your life and the praise and the worship of the Lord in the truest, truest sense. True worshipers, Jesus said, will worship in spirit and in truth. Well, one more slide. I said two, there's three. We need to confess. <laughs> there's some things we have to let go of. You can't just add Jesus to the menu. He's got to be the menu. Uh, Isaiah had an encounter with the living God. And he listened to angels in Isaiah chapter 6 sing this. Say this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, referring to the voices of the angels, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And his response, woe is me. I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, all, the Lord God Almighty. He, he encountered God, and he felt just so unworthy and, and so threatened by the presence of the Lord. 
by the presence of Almighty God. The woman at the well was carrying a lot of baggage. Jesus said, you've had five husbands, and now you have the man you're living with. He's not even your husband. You're living common law. And so she's there by herself at the well at noon where most of the women came in the morning. So she was actually rejected by the people of her town, town of Sychar, and she was there by herself at the time when women didn't come to draw water. So she was lonely, and she had a past. <laughs> and yet he invited her to worship. And, and, and no matter who we are, what we've done, what shame we carry in our lives, what sins we've committed, he breaks through all of that through his grace, through his cross. And he says, I want you. I want to enter a love relationship with you of true worship. Yes, you're going to have to let go of some things. You're going to have to let go of sin. There's things that just don't fit the, the, the family. And then in Isaiah it says, and I don't have this on the screen, but one of the seraphim, when he said that I am a man of unclean lips, I am, I'm undone, woe is me. The seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Brothers and sisters, there's all kinds of reasons that can hold us back from being true worshipers. One of them can be our own past, our sin, our shame, the things we've done. Maybe even the battles that you're having with temptation right now in your life. And you could say, well, these things are keeping me from God, I, I, I don't mind coming to church and praise and happy songs and hurry up and, and I love to hear a great message or whatever, but uh, I just have to kind of stand back a little bit because I, I'm just not worthy. But there's a fire that came to Isaiah from the altar. And there's a fire that was lit on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit birthed the church, and that fire is still very much a flame in the world today. And the Holy Spirit longs to just touch your life, remove from you any guilt, any shame, remove from you things that, well, you just have been battling with for a long time, and he invites you to come to the well. Because the woman is right, the well is deep, uh, he was, she was talking about Jacob's well, but the well of Jesus is e- even deeper. In fact, it goes so far, it actually causes it to spring up within us, he says. It's like a well of living water. And he invites us to worship him. 